stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm joined by Zach's Director of Research, Shraz Meehan, to discuss what is now our annual end-of-the-year look at the oil industry, and we're going to talk about what oil stocks maybe you should be looking at to add to your portfolio. So for those who don't know and who haven't tuned into this show, now that we've done it, this is our third time now, um, Shraz is a former oil company analyst. So in his past life, he did analyze a lot of these companies. Uh, so he kind of keeps an eye on what's going on in this industry and knows more than I do, for sure, on what's going on in the energy. So um, as I said, we started doing our podcasts on the oil stocks in 2015. And if you think back to what was happening then, that was just after the price was started to plunge. And we've always kind of given our predictions on where we thought oil would be in the next year, um, you know, maybe half the year out and then by the end of the year. So now on this show, we're going to be looking at mid-2018 and maybe end of 2018. But I, I will admit, Shraz, our predictions have been a bust. <laughs> we, have not, we have not really been on, on what we predicted the prior two times we did this kind of the end of the year one. And it feels like this time it really could be different in the oil patch. Like the, the cycle is behaving yes. differently because of what's happened with the shale production and the U.S. now being this really huge global player. Absolutely. It's not only about OPEC like it would have been even 10 years ago. Sure. So in our defense, I want to say that maybe we've been getting it wrong because of this change in the industry and we're seeing that play out now. Um, but now I also feel like we're kind of at a critical junk juncture, more so than the last two times we've done this, even at the end of 2016, when we thought maybe that was kind of bo a bottom, but it turned out it was not, and it was a fake one. And now we're seeing rising U.S. output again, but we, in the prior times, have debated OPEC and whether or not they'll hold with their cuts or if they would even do them um, right. and all that. Now, not only did they hold those original cuts Apparently, they are extending the cuts through 2018, and right. not many people are cheating, apparently. Right. So you have that whole thing playing out, and then you really have this resurgence on the U.S. shale side that no one was really, no one has control over either. Yeah. And um, I brought the rig counts with uh, with me today because I know we've talked about that in the past. So the peak was in 2014 for U.S. rigs at 1789. We really plunged down. And probably when we did this show a year ago, that was kind of near the lows. Yep. And um, a year ago in November, the rig count was 568. It's at 907 now. Canada is also rebounded. Um, decently, they're at 203, and international is also up to 951. Obviously, none of these are close to those all time highs, but these, at least in the US, again, significant increase. And then I saw some data just about US oil output, not even just with the rigs, but US oil output is up 14% since mid 2016. That's a record 9.6 million barrels per day now. So U.S. is really pumping it out. And then at the same time, you do have the Saudi cuts and, yes. and Russia and the whole OPEC 
area, and then you have Venezuela. We haven't really talked about Venezuela in the past, but now stuff is happening there. So over the weekend here in November 2017, the Venezuelan oil production fell to a 29-year low. It's been bad for a while, but this is the worst since it's been bad and oil output is slumped to just 1.84 million barrels their rig count is at a 14 year low now the u.s sanctions are apparently really hurting their oil because we're sanctioning a lot of uh equipment and things that would have gone in down there to help them in the oil production and now they can't produce because equipment's breaking down and they can't replace it and then they have their own problems with the debt issues and they did make a big payment, a $1.1 billion payment. Their oil company, the PDVSA, made that big payment last week. But they've apparently missed um, a whole bunch of payments to India's oil and natural gas company that they owe to them for six months. Apparently, they've not been paying that. And then they missed some bond payments, apparently, recently, too. So you have all that going on. Sure. But with Venezuela, I feel like, yes, they have these huge oil reserves there. And their lack of drilling um, hurts them because 90% of their country revenues, their government revenues, sure. comes from the oil production still. But in the grand overall global, I mean, Venezuela hasn't really been a factor for years, right? It's, it's been uh, it's been a steadily diminishing player uh, on the global oil scene, and the current president, the current leadership, which is an extension of the previous one, uh, has really been dragging the country's oil industry uh, in the ground. Yeah, uh, they're literally putting it back. So it's a uh, it, it's been a steady decline for that particular province and but broadly just stepping back from Venezuela and looking at OPEC yes they have been far more disciplined than many of us were giving them credit for the current supply cut that runs through uh, I believe March or April 2018 which is OPEC plus Russia the uh, all indications are that it will be extended through the end of the year so that's good on the supply side and one of the things that we struggled with, and just a brief comment on our not-so-stellar <laughs> uh, track record on the price performance is that nobody has gotten it right. So right. Uh, we have pretty good company on that front. And around this time last year, when we were looking ahead to 2017 and kind of surveying the oil patch, we thought, and I thought, that the amazing ramp-up that we had seen in the drill count and as a result in production, uh, just cannot be sustained in the long run if these guys don't have the capital. And my theory was that the financial markets will force some discipline on these guys that you can't just keep pumping dollar into the ground without getting positive free cash flows and positive returns. But I was wrong. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the market was very permissive uh, with the E&P players. Uh, we saw throughout 2017 and even now that the yields between the distressed oil producers and investment-grade corporate bonds have been some of the, uh, the thinnest that we have seen in, in a year. So capital was readily available, and these guys kept drilling, even though at some stage in the year, I want to say, one of those hedge fund guys came out, and he said that these oil guys 
were were a lot of hat and not much cattle or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, I think David Einhorn or something like one of one of those guys. So it's finally we are getting to that stage where capital discipline, positive cash flow returns uh, on these projects are taking center stage. And you mentioned that the, the rig count being up uh, significantly from this time last year, uh, but it has been platoon lately. It uh, has in August. Apparently. That's right. Yeah. So uh, it, it peaked in uh, in the summer months and uh, has been practically treading water. You, see, you mentioned about nine five nine ten. Yeah. Uh, it was to about nine fifty. Yeah, it's uh, actually it, fallen back a little uh, bit. It, it has fallen back a little bit. So we are and we are seeing that in commentary from management teams too. The biggest proxy for what's happening in the oil patch that I closely follow is Halliburton and ExxonMobil. And they both mentioned that on this earnings call as well as in the previous one. So we are starting to see that the the rapid pace of activities is slowing down, which prompted some production cut estimates too for this year and next. Doesn't that make sense though? Because they were coming from such a low level that it was inevitable that when they did start to ramp up again, it would be kind of quick to do that. And then oil prices have recovered. We were just at a two-year high for oil prices, obviously not at the level we used to see prior to the plunge, but the highest since 2015. So that has been helping them as well. Absolutely. So so there were a couple of variables that we got wrong and everybody got wrong. Yeah. I mentioned the uh, the capital uh, question. The other one was the oil field services and the human capital that you need for a lot of these 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 yeah. areas. And yeah, we talked about whether or not they'd even be able to find people right. to go back to the to drilling and uh, and all these things because a lot of them were laid off. Absolutely. Then they went and got other jobs because the job market is good, That's and right. it was unclear if they'd even be able to get labor. That's right. So it's it's they they were able to find labor. Uh, the uh, the rig that we have now, uh, a horizontal or a lateral rig, uh, it's a lot more capable and productive uh, relative to what it used to be. Uh, the length uh, of the lateral portions of these rigs are steadily increasing. I'm amazed when I see some of these uh, energy consulting firms reports, even three to six months uh, afterwards, of the extent of the efficiency gains they talk about, uh, that the uh, oil field services companies and the ENPs have been able to achieve uh, in some of these areas, particularly in Permian, and it's 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 been very impressive. A lot of these operators have been able to bring down their all cash break-even cost. You have to keep in mind that a lot of the cost uh, related to the oil activity is sunk cost. So you you buy the leaseholds, you buy other uh, fixed uh, fixtures. Those are gone now. The question now is that the day rates you're giving the rig contractor, uh, the employees and the other consumables, uh, can you sustain those or not? And uh, those cash costs, the break-even level for those, particularly in Permian, has literally been on a sequential decline trajectory uh, for the past 12 to 18 months. So a lot of efficiency gains, uh, and uh, that's been a factor that no one actually could have foreseen uh, 6, 12, and 18 months 
earlier, but we are getting to a stage, as you alluded to, at some some level of inflection, there seems to be more discipline from these guys, the E&P players uh, and the oil companies, uh, in ramping up their capital spending, even though the capital markets are still quite flexible and permissive. Uh, yeah, wasn't and, that the problem in in prior years? They would they would kind of throw caution to the absolutely. wind again. And everyone was worried this time if crude approached 60, yes. that we would again see, you know, massive overdrilling and, you know, spending and all of that again by yeah. oil companies. But you're saying we're not really we are seeing not that. Seeing that. Okay. Yeah, we are not seeing that. We're not seeing that in the commentary from management teams. And we'll get a better sense of how much these companies will spend in 2018 when they release the December quarter results uh, and share their reserve situation and also their outlook for 2018. Uh, but the general commentary that we are hearing uh, is for discipline, uh, for not uh, increasing their spending levels midway through the quarter. They used to do that in the past. Yeah. Uh, and um, uh, even the, uh, the big guys, the investment-grade guys, are, are, are far more disciplined. Uh, so that's that's a good sign yeah. for now. We don't know okay. <laughs> how long it'll it'll stay, uh, but you are right. The overall production level for the country as a whole uh, is pretty much in record territory. The the uh, the hurricanes brought it down to some extent, so we are probably averaging around nine point two nine point three million barrels. Uh, but we will definitely get into record territory two thousand eighteen. Okay. I saw a new report from the IEA that was out this week. They are kind of bearish on where oil might be, at least in the first half of 2018, because they basically are blaming U.S. producers for producing too much. They just said that um, producers outside of OPEC, which could be other people too, but that it could mean a global surplus in the first half of 2018. What do you think that'll do to the price, if anything? Or does it matter... Do these other things come into play, like what's happening in Saudi Arabia and Venezuela? These other things might counter that, or I think the 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 uh, the best solution for uh, for these stocks and for oil prices in general is what stock market investors have been doing to the stocks of E and P's and the integrated companies, the people who actually spend the money and produce the oil. And those stocks have been struggling, even though they are raising production, even though they are guiding towards increased production level. And as long as these management teams get the message that we, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Investor, we are looking for you to be disciplined, uh, to show us positive cash flows, uh, and positive returns, then I think we could expect more discipline from these guys. So the what the uh, OECD guys are saying, it's a continuation of what we saw over the last two years. But what we have been arguing, you and I have been arguing uh, since uh, this time last year, that it is unlikely. We were obviously wrong last yeah. time, uh, but we think uh, we have uh, a better handle on the situation. Who knows what the reality will be? But I think, I think the uh, the flat and plateauing rick count could be a sign of things to come. And it it also doesn't seem like we could see a big sell off here. Like the fear was that we could go back down to thirty. 
I think it feels like that has kind of gone away. Certainly with the outlook into 2018. We might not see, you know, $75 either, but we're not going to go back. There's no reason. There's no reason for that. Unless uh, we uh, we could envision something like the uh, like re- you would recall a few years back, everybody was talking about this hard landing for China, right? Uh, of uh, as to how uh, the entire country and the economy was just hot air, and one day uh, we'll find out that it yeah. was just all numbers. Yeah. And what we are seeing now is not exactly just now, but over the past year, year and a half. Uh, that for the first time in 10 years, the global economy, the rich ones and the developing ones, uh, are starting to grow in a synchronized fashion for the first time uh, Mm -hmm. since the global financial crisis. So the demand side of the equation is is as good as it has been over the last five, eight years. So uh, with the capital markets still in reasonable shape, with these guys doing pretty good, I can't imagine oil prices going back into the 20s as we saw uh, early in the beginning of 2016. Yeah, that's what I'm I've been reading too. Yeah. So, we're going to we're going to stick with that prediction sure. yeah. <laughs> in 2018. Okay, let's talk about some stocks and sure. where people could maybe invest. Now, I'm aware that this area is still hated by investors yeah. <laughs> after two years. They've been burned a couple times sure. because it looked like the turnaround was going to come. Yeah. Even a year ago, they got into the stocks, didn't come. Sell-off was bad again. And so basically, investors have kind of just abandoned this whole sector. But yeah. I don't think they should be at this point. This is sure. when you want to be looking Absolutely. at it. So let's start off. We've always covered the big integrated companies. So we'll talk about Exxon and Chevron. Those are the one, the two that we mainly cover every time when we do this. And Exxon, ticker OXM. Chevron is CVX. Exxon, for the first time, is Zach's number one since 2008. That's right. A strong buy. So that caught my eye. And then I just kind of looked at what the earnings were doing for them and Chevron. Chevron's a number three, but the earnings picture on both is pretty strong compared yes. to what we have seen. This is yes. why you get the number one rank. So Exxon made 237 last year, expected to make 362 this year, and 407 in 2018. So you're finally seeing it go up in the right direction and then chevron they made only a dollar in 2016 but they're expected to make 427 this year so that's a huge jump and then 501 in 2018 they both pay about the same dividend yield now interestingly 3.7 percent but these guys little different than um you know any of the emps they have that side but they've got refining exxon has the huge chemical business plus they're global that's right so you never know what's going on in nigeria or brazil or venezuela even although not so much with these guys but they're all over so what would be my incentive to get into the big integrateds now because i do feel like these guys are the safety plays and i would have wanted to be in them you know the last two years but now do I want to be in them? Yes. The, okay. Look, Chevron is barely positive this year. Exxon perhaps is yeah. a bit on the negative. Yeah, they haven't gone. That's right. So, uh, in off the two, uh, Chevron has more leverage to oil prices uh, than Exxon does. So, if you if you have a relatively constructive outlook for oil prices, as we do, 
Yeah. Uh, we, we, we see oil prices stabilizing, if not spiking uh, higher, at least stabilizing and giving investors in the market in general more conviction and removing those downside fears. Uh, that's beneficial for, for Chevron. Um, the, uh, the company's cash flow and balance sheet position is very good uh, as long as they have uh, greater confidence in the oil strip. Uh, uh, you have greater visibility into their uh, uh, into their dividend growth prospects as well. So it's a in the oil patch. If you have no exposure, a Chevron gives you a, a low risk exposure and some leverage to oil prices without really putting your your, your entire future. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, that's good to know um, because I do think there's a lot of people who sure. aren't in this area at all. Mm. So if they're just dipping their feet in there, that's they right. might want to might want to check out the big integrateds. Now, what about the big EMPs? We've talked in the past about Pioneer Natural Resources. That's right. That ticker is PXD. That was always one of your favorites. Yes. I just recently added it to the value investor portfolio because the shares did come down considerably, but they had a good quarter. They're seeing the rising earnings estimates too. They're one of the largest players in the Permian, That's right. which is why everyone liked them. And you always liked them because they had the great balance sheet. That's right. So uh, Pioneer is a, is, is, is a good large cap E&P with substantial operations in Permian. Permian, in my judgment, will remain the, the, the key producing region uh, in the U.S. And the, the developments we have seen over there. Uh, and the improvements that these uh, operators have gained in terms of their operations, uh, I think are, are are long-term positives for the group. So, yes, uh, Pioneer is one. Um, I think uh, a positive long-term outlook for oil prices should push folks that have relatively more tolerance for volatility uh, into some of these ENPs. Yeah, because they are going to track the price right. of oil for That's the most right. part up and down. So That's you right. have to be, yeah. you have to have a stronger stomach if you're in these. That's right. So the, okay. uh, there are smaller players too. Uh, I believe we have mentioned Diamondback in the past. Mm -hmm. it, it has a it has a very nice ticker, Fang. Uh, Fang is famous now for in the tech sector, but yeah. uh, but Diamondback it's 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 not that small, but it's not as much in the spotlight either. It has yeah. a, a big uh, Permian-focused operation as well. Uh, and uh, the the traditional ENPs, the EOGs, the Anadarkos, the APCs, uh, I think those are fairly reasonable vehicles to have a tad bit higher risk exposure to the sector. Uh, I think the outlook for the sector remains favorable. Uh, and uh, depending on one's risk tolerance, uh, one should choose the, uh, the the appropriate investments. Yeah, there's a lot of EMPs to choose from. That's right. I know in the past we've always said look for those with the best balance sheet, and it sounds like that is still the play. It is the play, but not no. as much okay. as it used to be. Uh, so uh, over the last couple of years, particularly coming out of the scars of 2008, 2009, you always uh, needed to have these companies able to withstand an extended period in the 20s and 30s yeah. of oil prices. I don't really see oil prices getting there. Uh, I don't really see the capital markets shutting these guys down either. 
So right. it would have uh, happened already. That's right. It yeah. would have happened already. Yeah. And a lot of these companies did go under yeah. in 2015 and 16. Yeah. So we are past that stage. A good balance sheet is always good to have. Yeah. Uh, but if you if you see a, a company that's being beaten down because it has tough covenants in their uh, in their balance sheet debt. Yeah. Uh, it's it's probably not a bad idea to uh, to not be spooked by that. Okay. Okay. That's a change. Yeah. Right. That is a change. Yeah. <laughs> now, what about on the services side? We've talked about these guys before, and I know one of one of your favorites that we have talked about um, on the kind of drilling side, but these guys are the pumps. Is RPC? That's right. And their ticker is RES. That's right. So it's a little confusing, but RES is a ticker there. But they are among the most profitable pumpers in the U.S. That's right. It's it's a it's a small oil field service company, uh, and the reason I like RPC Inc. Uh, RES the ticker is that it's it's a small Halliburton, which is uh, wh- whose only operations are in the Permian. So it's it's uh, by the way one of the top ten stocks. Uh, okay. and even though energy uh, hasn't really done much, RPC is up, uh, I believe, fifteen twenty percent on the year. Halliburton, I don't know the exact, but I I believe the stock is down forty, fifty, sixty percent. Yeah, uh, and that's how all of these other guys are as well. What we saw in the Rick count uh, post summer. Uh, is a is a bad signal for these guys. So whether okay. you are the large cap, uh, multi segment service player like Schlumberger, Halliburton, Baker Hughes, Baker Hughes is not called Baker Hughes GE, uh, or Weatherford, you have to be tentative as to which way the outlook, the spending outlook appears. And uh, at least as of now. Uh, when we were talking about capital discipline from these guys, from the ENP and the oil companies, that's that's a bad news for uh, for the service guys. Well, I mean, yeah, because they contract out right. with these guys that's to right. say, hey, we want five more rigs put in over here, and they bring the rigs over there that's and their right. guys and everything. So the workers. So if they don't need those, if they're not adding those rigs that's anymore, right. then that's less business for the drillers. That's right. So one one other one other potential angle uh, is the international side of the business, and on the international front, uh, far more than what's been happening in the U.S., uh, there's been a lot of discipline uh, from a lot of these com- countries uh, that are that are major have been major players in the oil patch. A lot of their major oil companies are state-owned. And then a number of the more prospective regions where the international oil companies can play, they held back uh, from spending too. So if you have a favorable outlook for oil, as we do, one extension of that could be that the tight-fisted spending outlook we saw internationally may start easing in 2018 and beyond. And if that happens, then the high beta names uh, and the more high beta exposure to that would be through the service companies. So based primarily or solely on the U.S. outlook, uh, you would be staying away from them. Yeah. Uh, but if you have a, a somewhat of a positive outlook, which I think is reasonable, if if there is greater conviction in a fifty plus dollar oil price, then one could imagine uh, Brazil and Nigeria and Angola and, and some of these other countries uh, spending more on oil. 
and uh, uh, and that's that's a net positive for the Schlumbergers, the Weatherfords uh, of the world, particularly Weatherford. Uh, I would like more uh, because they have a, a much more international kind of footprint uh, relative to someone like, say, Halliburton. Okay. Yeah, that's a good angle to look at it because um, we have been focusing U.S. focus, right. but there's a lot going on internationally for Absolutely. sure. Um, okay, so there's some good ideas in there. And do you have an oil prediction for 2018? Like, are we going to get to 65.70 by maybe the second half of the year? I think it's possible. Uh, the the uh the, it, it should be creeping up. Oil prices should steadily be creeping up. The the new reality in the oil market uh, post-U.S. shale is that if in some of these producing areas, the cash break-even cost is 25 30 uh, then that limits that the, those huge spikes that we used to see uh, in the in the late 1990s. So those things are are things of the past. Uh, the $150 oil that we saw in uh, 19, 2008, for yeah. example, uh, we we just have so much resource trapped in the ground, and we now have the experience and the technical abilities to extract it uh, that. Once oil prices remain above $50 for any extended period of time, uh, a lot of these players will just throw away their capital discipline and start right. producing it. But on balance, as long as the outlook for the global economy remains favorable, as it has been in 2017 and to some extent in 16 as well, we should see oil prices creeping up. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised that by the middle of the year, we, are, we, we have crossed 60 uh, but the, 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 greater, uh, the greater benefit of this outlook will be that once the market uh, gets rid of the, uh, this never-ending fear of oil going back into the 30s, that just adds to confidence uh, and sentiment on the space as a whole. Okay. Well, we'll be revisiting again in sure. 2018, as always. Uh, we usually do at least two oil shows a year so we'll do one again in kind of the first half of 2018 sure. and kind of see where we stand but interesting things are developing i feel so yeah. um this is an area to keep watching and again if you're interested in those stocks that we mentioned as a way to play the change in this industry heading into 2018 we talked about exxon mobile which is xom uh, chevron which is cvx the pioneer national Natural Resources is PXD. We did mention EOG Resources, which is just EOG. Uh, RPC, the pumper, is ticker RES. Halliburton is HAL. And there was a whole bunch of other ones, but um, you can always find those. Weatherford, I think we mentioned, and yes, Schlumberger. WFT. Yes. WFT is that one. Schlumberger, too, is out there. And as always, we'll have more stock choices for you going forward on the podcast and be sure to tune in to the value investor podcast because i've been taking a look at what insiders are buying over there in the oil patch um, i'm going to take a look at what they're doing on the services side see if anyone's buying over there because i mainly have covered the emps but the insiders have been buying in the energy area all year long as those stocks 
uh, were depressed. They felt like things were getting better. And maybe we're starting to see some of that now. So that's an interesting angle, too. You can find all those old podcasts on SoundCloud, of course, under the Zach's Market Edge. And you can also get them on um, iTunes under Zach's Market Edge or the Value Investor Podcast, because I've covered some oil stocks on the Value Investor Podcast as well. And that is a standalone show on iTunes. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on anything going on in energy and everything else with the stock market. So I'll see you again next time.